Uh, well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer, and um, I'm just going to – I'm not warning you. I'm just telling you um, that we're going to have a very intense conversation. Um, it's going to make you very uncomfortable. Um, but it's probably going to touch a place in your heart that hasn't been touched in a long time because um, this is Jim Simonis. Is mm -hmm. that right? Jim Simonis. Um, this is Kate. Kate with Mothers Against Drunk Driving. So Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And um, I have got to do something really quick here. Um, I am going to change something. Our show is sponsored by Buck Sanitary Service because um, uh, Lisa and Scott Well are the greatest people. And they say, you find a story that needs to be told and we'll sponsor those stories. So I know the Wells. Do you know the Wells? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. God, they're the best their, their, their son did some hanging for me, real nice, real, real good, nice kid. Yeah, they are such great people and they're always let us do yeah. anything we need to do. Um, and so they're sponsoring our show tonight um, and also uh, Cobra Road Car Wash, uh, Jim and Renee over there who will always let you, but we're not gonna run the usual ads because it's just not appropriate. Um, so Jim lost two children um, to a drunk driving accident and almost lost the third, um, three kids in a car. Um, I'm going to let them tell you the story. Uh, but I'll tell you, I saw this online. I think somebody sent it to me because I know I'm a sucker for some horrible thing. Cause I want this man to be able to talk. Um, and we're going to talk about the, the, what happened and, um, how it happened. And, um, I, 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 I'm kind of, I don't get tongue tied very much like this, but that when I read it, it was like super long and I read every single word and by the time I was done, I was in tears. Um, and I said to my wife, I have to get these people on my show. Um, Angela loves you guys. And Angela was in this as well, this incident. Jim, why don't you start and just tell, we can, since Angela's right here, we'll just, we'll start with that. She's driving down the road. You kind of explain what happened. Yeah. So, um, young by the name, young man by the name of Austin Hillsman. Um, he had uh, he's his family's from Brownsville. He grew up in Brownsville. Well, he grew up in Junction City in Brownsville. Uh, he was working and living up in Washington at the time. Um, he was going to come down and see his parents for the weekend. He bought some alcohol, but. 30 pack or so of beer and a fifth of whiskey mm -hmm. and um, in Washington and out hard spirits are purchased at stores there. Um, he drove down here, um, then went to a friend's house in Junction City, right? Junction City or Harrisburg. 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 Yeah. And um, drank there um, and then left there and headed where he met the kids and um, what what road was he on well he had drove highway 99 north to get on highway 228 going east from like the pioneer villa truck stop going towards sweet home and so how does um angela come into the picture so um angela was she's a technician at the springfield er at the hospital there where kylie ended up going actually um and she was returning from work that night. And uh, Austin picked her up about the time 
she got into Brownsville. And not picked her up, you mean started following her. Started following her. And he would have normally turned to see Brownsville, but he just decided to entertain himself by chasing her instead of going home, going to his parents' house. Um, Now, this ironically is the time in which Austin says he blacked out. Okay, so um, we all, you're right, we all have our theories on that, but that's where he says he blacked out. So he's, he started following her. He would get up. She drives a small uh, Prius, Prius car, and he was in a Ford F-250. Um, but I would also like to, let me say as well, why my kids were on the road that night. I've, I've actually had people question me on that, and I find that so ridiculous because... I always say because America, that's why they can go where they want to go when they want to go there. Right. But the reason they were on the road at that time of night was because a couple of our dogs had gotten in a fight, um, which dogs do, unfortunately. Um, but they're lucky enough to have their mother as a veterinarian. So they texted her and said that the dogs had been in a fight. And and their mother and I aren't married. The kids live with me. Um, uh and once again, the great part of having a mother that's a vet, right? Right. You don't have to worry about emergency fees or anything like that. And she just said, yeah, she happened to be awake. I'll, so were the I'll, dogs in the car too? So yes, the, one of the dogs was. Okay. The dog that was injured was in the car. And so they headed out and they took their grandmother. So, you know, their kids and, you know, whatever, we don't have a lot of fancy stuff. So the nicest car that they have to drive at night like that is their grandmother's on the pilot or was of course um and it had the third row seating so they were able to put the dog that was bleeding in the back right and so so they took off caleb driving right so they they've left now at this point it's about right at midnight um so austin met or got behind angela started pushing her down the road a bit and so she would slow down to try to get him to pass he would get beside of her and then push her kind of off of the road and then get right back behind her and push her back onto the road, you know, and he continued this harassment for a while. So she's on the phone with 911, you know, with her hands free. Um, and so they're already coming, you know, because she tells him she thinks she's going to die because, well, she doesn't know, right? I mean, you know, right. it's, a, it's a small car and a, and a large pickup, and all she sees is headlights, right. you know. Um, so, um, and, and ironically, there's been some people say, oh, she's maybe blowing that up. No, I don't think she was. It's, it's, she's, she's a young lady in the middle of the night and, you, you know, this I dude's pushing her off the road. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of yeah. on the side of right. you. And, yes. and then wouldn't pass her. So right. continuing to do this nonsense. And so she's on the phone with them. And so this goes on for five, six miles. Past the point where he was supposed to turn off to go to his parents. Yeah. So, because he would have normally turned off to Brownsville, Brownsville. and this is past Brian Brownsville yeah. on the way to Sweet Home. Right. He's just continuing on this. I and mean, your kids are on their way to Brownsville because that's where the animal clinic is. Yes. And the, yes. For that. Yes. So they're on their way there, and and then just you know five or six miles after he encountered Angela, and he was still continuing with her. He had he came out to do his normal, what he had been doing activity of getting beside her. And she said she just happened to look up as the headlights came by and then everything went black. And so she told the, the 911 operator that 
he just hit somebody and I don't, you know, and she says, I need to go back and see if I can help. And they told her, no, you can't because, you know, and, and rightfully right. so they don't know what his intention was with her, right. you know, they can't send her back into that. So they told her to, you know, just continue on. They said, we're almost there, which there was a very fast response. You know, I mean, they were there quick for what you'd expect on a very rural road, you know, because they were already coming. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the troopers said that when, uh, that normally when they come to calls like that, they, they have a certain, you know, he's an older trooper and he talks about how he, he gauges his speed based on what he thinks is happening. You know, how old is Austin? Austin was 21 at the time. And how old are your kids? My kids at the time were Shelby was 16 and Caleb was 19. So you get a call. So, yeah, so, so that, so to, to, to keep going and we can get into more details. We go with just to give you the timeline. Um, uh, Amy was their mother. She was just a few minutes behind them because she was on her way to Brownsville as well. And she lived in a house in Sweden. Oh no. So there had already been some people that had got there. And I don't know if you want me to go through all of that with you or not. Um, probably, I guess you already warned people. Yeah. But, um, uh, so I'm going to go a bit through the, he said, she said stuff too. Okay. If that's okay, because this, it's all public it was in trial. Right. Okay. So it's gone to trial. You guys, um, and the sentencing is next week. And that's why we're talking about this now because they need your help. So, uh, when the wreck happened, we say wreck or murder or any other term. We do not use the word accident because this, there's no accident when it comes to drunk driving. Blow that one out the window. Right. Um, so uh, Austin Hillsman says that when the wreck happened, he got out of, well, to start with, when the wreck happened, his, his vehicle has Ford's version of OnStar which is called 911 assist, I believe. Oh yeah. Okay. And so the, his vehicle, since it was Bluetooth to a phone, his phone. And so it had the access to the line, it called 911. And so, um, when the 911 operator came on the phone, this is all on recording. Of course, we've, we've all heard the recordings. Um, he, in a very calm voice says, no, there's nothing wrong. Um, there's, there's, everything's okay. There's no, and she said, nobody's been in a crash. There's no, there's nobody hurt. And he says, no, everybody's fine. And he just kept going through that. And she said, sir, so you're telling me there has not been a car crash. And he said, no, there's not been a car crash. Well, she already knew of course, because she, you know, she had been on the phone with Angela. Um, so she already knew there was a car crash. Um, and by the way, his defense to that when he was on the stand and the prosecutor called him on that very thing, he said that he in fact was not lying to the 911 operator because he was driving a pickup truck, not a car. So there was, so, not, uh, it was a truck crash. So he was not involved in a car crash. Because most people call it a truck crash. Right. That's a, that's a normal <laughs> time. So that's, yeah. that's where he went with that. Um, so this is before any other people showed up. Austin had gotten out of his vehicle. He claims he got out of the vehicle into the ditch. Um, understand when we're in trial, we're trying to try, we're charging him with manslaughter one, which is a gross indifference to human life. Okay. 
which is a stage above, of course, manslaughter two, which is just that manslaughter two. So we're there to prove that he he had zero. He, he didn't care, you know. Um, he says he got a vehicle in the ditch, which made him think he was in the ditch. So it was a single car wreck. Um, the pictures, everything shows he did not get out of the car, out of the car into the ditch. He was the back tire of his Ford F one fifty was on the the yellow line. The back right tire, the front left tire of his Ford F one hundred and fifty was on the white line, sideways in Caleb's lane. Uh, my son, Caleb's lane. Um, so he got out into the pavement. He walked around his vehicle. He looked when he got to the back of his vehicle. Looked forward. He realized there was another vehicle. He called it a van. It was on the pilot, but whatever. Um, he walked up to the white van, at which time he says, my son, Caleb Frank, told him he was okay. Um, and to be very blunt, Caleb was cut into. He was not okay. Um, he was not speaking to anybody, certainly not Austin Hillsman. Um, he walked around the vehicle and says that he assessed that everybody was okay. Shelby Rose was destroyed. She was alive, but barely. So your son, nobody, his bottom half was ripped off of him. He was, he was a half. And, and Shelby was crushed. In the front, like, right into the Her extremities were were crushed. Her, Her chest and everything was crushed. She was alive, but she was alive. A lot of paramedics, I have friends that are paramedic, a friend that's a, not a paramedic, but he's a, uh, first responder, you know, and, and they say that it's fairly typical when people get crushed like that, that they can survive that, you know, actually for quite a long time. It's when they release them that the problems happen, of course, because that's when they lose all their blood and the pressure, you know. So and your other daughter's in the back, Shelby. So, no, no, Shelby's in the front. Right. Kylie's in the back. in the back, okay. Kylie was in the back directly behind Shelby. So, and so, so I can actually go to them now because by the so now Austin claims he's walked around and assessed there's everybody's fine. Okay. While this is actually, while this is going on. Carly Ann wakes up. We don't know how long she was out, you know, minute, two minutes, 30 seconds. Nobody knows. Right. She wakes up. She's laying on her side in the back seat. Um, she's damaged pretty severely. Seatbelt damage, of course. Um, uh, her intestines were broken a couple of places, um, you know, just massive damage, you know, to her. Um, she was able to set up in the seat. She reached forward and had her fingers in Shelby's hair. And um, Shelby initially, you know, when she came to, she was saying, owie, 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 somebody help me, please, somebody help me. Um, those are her words. Um, I'd also like to add that Caleb's last words were, oh, shit as he saw Austin and he was going for off of the road. That's the Austin caught him. Um, uh, I'm just saying that's his last words. His last words were not to Austin Hillsman saying, I'm okay. Right. Um, the, the family or Austin or whoever has no idea to us in our minds, how far of a line that is to cross. For him to say that my son spoke to him. I mean, I got to say that that's one of the largest offenses that I came out of that trial with, that they would actually say that. 
It's just terribly offensive. He was wise words wouldn't be, I love you to his sisters, uh, as they were trying to say to him. Not telling somebody when your bottom half of your body is ripped off, you go, oh no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And his sister's dying, right. but we're fine. Um, so, <clears throat> so, Kylie's, I think Kylie likely realized the severity maybe before Shelby did because Shelby was clearly too close to the situation. And so she started telling Shelby that she loved her. And Shelby started telling her that she loved her back. And I think, um, I think that's, apparently the speed kind of slowed down a bit then because I think, as we'd said, I think maybe people understand the finality of their situation a bit. And I think that Shelby maybe understood that this was going to be maybe her last words that she spoke to Kylie. But she did see you. Yes, she saw me. She didn't speak to me, but she saw me and she saw her mother. So um, so to, to continue on with that, um, uh, a young, young man by the name of Ronald and his mother showed up. Um, they were the first ones to show up on the scene. Of course, when they pulled up, it was just black, right? Um, they, as a matter of fact, it went a little past it, and then was like, "Wait a minute, something was in that lane," you know, because it was in the, it was completely contained within the westbound lane of Highway 228. So they backed up and saw that it was a wreck. So Ronald went straight to the car, to the driver's door, and he, of course, couldn't open that, and was able to tell that maybe that wasn't where his efforts should be anyway, you know, because like I said, nobody walked up to that car and didn't think it, were, it was okay or they thought it was okay. He went around the back. He saw that Shelby was pretty bad, but he ripped, he was able to get Kylie's door open, the back passenger door. Um, Kylie, it tears me up a bit. So I've always been, you know, call me corny. I've always been the guy that calls his, that tells his kids I love them all the time. And I always call them little sweeties and I call them honeys. And I always do. I, maybe a bit because I like, I, a lot because I like it. And maybe a bit because they don't sometimes, you know, when they're younger, they're like, they're like, you know. <laughs> oh, you're yeah, 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 you know what I mean? And so oh, we all had that. Dad. So, you know, I always did. And my grandfather was that way with me. So, you know, and he raised me. So I, I just kind of do that with my kids. And so she said at first she thought it was, me um because ronald was calling her sweetheart and honey and saying how you know oh, i gotta get you out of here and so, so she said initially she thought it was it was me and then she realized you know that it wasn't of course um but he he was very comforting to her and he you know uh was he told her said this is gonna hurt a lot sweetheart but i gotta get you out of here and he she doesn't really know how he and I don't, I've never actually asked him how he got the seatbelt loose. I don't know how he got it loose, whether he cut it or what, but apparently he had to get it out of her body a bit. Right. And so um, she said that sucked much, her, right? Yeah, yeah that was, that was <laughs> that sucked a lot. <laughs> and so um, he got her out and got her alongside the road. And, um, and she said, that's when it got interesting. So, well, nothing was interesting, but she said, so Ronald's not a big guy. He's just not, you know, um, he's what, five, five, maybe something like that. You know, he's not a big guy. Um, but, and Austin's not a necessarily a little guy, but Kylie said that what will always stand out to her is how sweet and kind he was to her 
But when Austin would try to come into the scene, you know, and touch, in particular, he kept trying to touch Shelby. She said, Daddy, it was crazy. She said he became so scary. Ronald because did. Ronald did. Because oh, really? he was yeah. he's a dad too. And he did not want this guy near them kids. Right. And um he was keeping them back. Um his mother had gone over and to speak with the driver of the pickup. He did she didn't know what Ronald was doing, okay, because she went to the pickup. And she encountered that's where she encountered Austin. Austin was going through his pickup, you know, rummaging around his pickup. And she asked him, you know, are you okay? Is there, you know, and he said, yeah, I'm fine. Everybody, everybody's okay. I just need to, I just need to make a phone call. I've got to get out of here. And she said, so there's nobody injured in the car. There's nobody in the car. And he said, no, there's nobody in the car. Once again, when he's now at the sun, the on on the witness stand, he's saying that he thought she was talking about his car. Ironic how he assumes his is a car there, but it's a pickup for the 911 operator, right? So um, so he's trying to deflect her from that vehicle in front. Um, well, he is looking for his phone is what he's looking for because it had bounced somewhere in the car. So, you know, his argument is, he says, well, I was trying to find my phone to call 911. Well, clearly it wasn't because all I had to do was tell her to call 911. Well, didn't 911 already call him? Yes. But he says that's why he, he said that's the phone call that he was trying to make. He was trying to call 911 back um, to say that there was injured people. But he had never, he never, not to her, not to any, but he came in contact with several people on the scene. He never once, never asked if anybody, well, in fact, he told everybody everyone was okay and that he needed a ride and, and everybody was okay. The, the people in the white van are standing over there. They're all okay. I just need to get a ride. I got to get out of here. He's carrying around his beer. He wants to get that out because he says, you know, he didn't want people to think he was drunk driving, so he needed to get rid of that. So he was asking people to get rid and of And this all court. came up in court. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they were able to somehow explain it all away. So... And the first time that he ever asked, the first time he ever asked that people were, you know, like, like there was any genuine concern that you could see that he had. And I'm not saying the guy didn't have genuine. I'm not saying he doesn't today. Okay. I'm saying that he exhausted every avenue to come clean, to yeah. get away. Right. Until he then decided, well, I'm here. Right. And so do something. We're going to come back to you. You're with Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Hey. Yes. This is not, this is one of the worst things you've ever heard, but it's not unusual in Oregon to hear, see families going through this kind of thing. It is not unusual. It is a daily, weekly occurrence um, around our state. There's, on average, in the state of Oregon, we lose about 300 people a year in impaired driving crashes, and there are thousands more who are uh, seriously or catastrophically injured. And that doesn't count him. Exactly. And his ex-wife, exactly. mother of the children. It doesn't count Alicia, is that her name? Angela. Angela, that's who, who was part of this. Mm -hmm. Or all the Ronald, the people that pulled over to help. All the other people that are traumatized by this exactly. whole thing. And the EMT workers and the Reverse. police. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I know first responders. I know law enforcement officers who have retired at, or just plain quit 
after working a horrific crash. And uh, the, the, the damage that, that is done to them having to, having to clean up, literally clean up the mess of, of people's lives, literal lives, um, they carry that with them forever. This, this has a ripple effect across communities, across um, just picture the person you love most in the world. It be that a spouse, a child, whoever that is, picture that person in your mind and hold that, just that thought, their face, the sound of their voice, how it feels to hug them. And then picture what it would be like to get a knock on the door or a phone call telling you that that person is never coming home. You're never going to see that person again. And you were on his case just days after being on one in Roseburg where two yes. kids were, were killed. Stopped at a stop sign and uh, broadsided by a drunk driver who drove off the side of the highway and T-boned their car, leaving two 20-year-old young men dead. So you said something, because we've been talking for like a half hour <laughs> before you guys got here. I don't know. You're late to the show. <laughs> and um, you said something that I want you to repeat about the ghosts. So I've been, I've been a volunteer um I was a volunteer for many, many years before becoming a staff person for Mothers Against Drunk Driving. So I've been doing this work for many years. And I travel all over the state and we help families who have been victimized by impaired driving crashes. Um, and you know, we go to the court with them, we advocate for their rights, or we go to schools to educate. We, so I travel all over the state and there are there's not a city, a town, a, a street in, in our state that I don't drive around and know that somebody died at that intersection. Somebody died on the side of the highway. It's for me, it feels like I'm driving through a graveyard of souls. It's, I, I know their stories. I, I know their families. I've met hundreds of families around our state who have suffered these losses. And it's, it's, there, there just aren't any words to describe the pain that these families feel. It's not like losing somebody to cancer. You, of course, grieve when you lose somebody, no matter how you lose them. But when you lose somebody to somebody else's choice, to somebody else's decision to get behind the wheel of a car after getting high or drunk, you know that that crash was 100% preventable. It didn't have to happen. Those lives didn't have to be taken. His children shouldn't have been taken. Right. So you walk the halls of the Oregon legislature, the state, the Senate and the House, and it's like deaf ears. Exactly. Yes. It's every year at the legislature uh, since 2013, the first year that I, that I started lobbying, I have watched as our legislators have uh, bill after bill after bill that's brought to them, usually by the Defense Attorneys Association to scale back our existing laws, to make it easier for people to get away with driving impaired and have fewer consequences when they don't get away with it. And it's crushing. It's absolutely crushing to see the um, apathy and the level of just a, a complete lack of concern, it feels like, for the, the people of, of our state. Everybody who drives on, on, on our roadways is at risk of this crime. It is the number one committed crime in the state of Oregon, by far. 
Seriously? Absolutely, one hundred percent seriously. It's it's just incredible to me that we can't get anybody at, at the legislature to listen to us, to hear us, to hear the pain that these families are going through, and be able to do something to make a change. We have the ability to make the change. We just need to have people care enough to make it with us. So, Jim, you said something that was pretty profound about the third. Yeah, I, I've just kind of decided that, that, you know, I I drink beer, too. You, you know what I mean? I just don't drink and drive, but I drink beer. I ride motorcycles and go with people who drink beer. We go all day long and drink one or two, right? On hundreds of miles, you know, stop at a place and, you know. Right. Um, I tell people that the sound that a beer makes, the third beer you drink, that sound it makes, that's the sound of you admitting that you are too drunk to drive today. I mean, I, I'm a, if you're sitting down and doing it, I'm, I'm right. a realist, I'm, a, I'm an anti-alcohol right, person. Right, right. You know, if, if, you're, if you just walk into one place, sit down and drink three beers, you can't drive from there. You're done. You, you've admitted that you can't drive there, in my mind. You, everybody knows that. I don't care. You can use, I'm a 300-pounder excuse all you want, you know, or... Or you know, no, you just can't. Right. If you if if over over the course of an hour and a half or two hours, you have three beers. Now we're talking a different story here. But people, I, I find that people are their own worst enemies in these situations, right? They, oh, I I I have a tolerance. You know, I can I don't care whether you do or not. You, you know, you you may think you're functioning, but you're just not. I mean, right. you're just not. I mean it. It, you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with science. I mean, people, you know, we're all into believing science today, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, so, you know, police officers and doctors have been doing this a long time. And they will tell you that if you sit down and drink three beers, it doesn't matter how big you are. If you just sit there and drink three beers, you can't do it. Right. You just can't. So you're at the scene of the accident. Well. Your daughter looks up at you. Well, before, before that, I don't want to, you know. Skip, you know, uh, aim. He had uh, uh, so Ronald. I'm sorry to get my train of thought right. So yeah. Ronald had gotten Kylie out of the car, um, and of course, you know, nine one one calls are going, you know, like crazy now, right? As other people are showing up, um, Austin's still trying to get away. Um, about the third vehicle I think to show up on the scene is my ex-wife Amy Simonis. Um, so imagine that, yeah, people, you know, yeah, and she recognized, you know, she got out of the car and she recognized it right away. Um, uh, so she saw Kylie sitting at the side of the road and she was able to speak to her. She went up and assessed the damage in the car. We don't get very good cell coverage at our house. Um, so she tried to call me um, and all I could get out, I, I knew it was her, you know, I saw the caller ID, but when I answered it just, I heard her say something, but I really couldn't understand it. So I texted uh, the kids on a three-way text and I would expect a pretty quick answer because two of them aren't driving, right? And I just said, well, your mom tried to call me, is everything okay? And no answer for, you know, 30 seconds maybe. Well, that's too long, right, right, when two of them. So I went out to the living room where there's a better coverage. At this point, it's, you know, 12, 15 or so a.m. Um, 
Amy, I called Amy and she answered and she said, Jim, it's bad. It's so, she just started right that way. She said, Jim, it's bad. It's so bad. She said, Caleb's dead. I think Shelby's dying. Um, and Kylie's out of the vehicle, but not good. And so I, I know I was probably wasn't being cold to her, but you know, you, you kind of go into a, a, you know, a triage mode there, you know, and I sometimes feel bad for that because I'd already, my mind already kicked Caleb out of it because I was already told Caleb's dead, you know? So I just went into Shelby, you know, is Shelby still in the car? Is she speaking? Is she doing this? And, you know, Amy wasn't able to really answer because she's just not, you know? And so she told me where it was and it was just, just a five minute, 10 minute drive from where our home is. So, um, I headed straight in there. And so, um, then when I got there, just as the ambulance was pulling away with Kylie, because they were there fast, because as right. I said, they were already on their way. Um, and to just to add to her statement there about the, the emergency responders, understand that we come from a small community. So these people knew these kids. Right. So that adds a whole. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so I stood there. Um, uh, you know, you kind of just assessing the situation a bit, you know, Amy came over and spoke to me a minute and then the troopers had already hooked Austin, had him in one of the troopers, Trooper Rummer had him in his car. Um, and, uh, one of the other troopers, I can't remember his name, but, but, but anyway, he was standing there and, uh, started talking to us about him and the COVID of course had just started. And so Amy came over and said, I suppose he's going to get, you know, released because of COVID tonight. And then Rummer, he said, no, this is Trooper Rummer. He's going to be the lead investigator. He just spoke to the DA. So I'll let him answer the question. And, and he's, he's told us, he said, no, I just spoke to the DA. He's not going anywhere. You know, he's refusing all tests and, you know, he's, he's staying here. And just for all you dads out there that keep saying, well, if I was the dad, well, understand that I said, I want, where's he at? And they both went just like that, both of them and said, no, that's not going to happen. Right. So because I get tons of people and I always tell them that you're not helping me when well, you say that. Right. And it's always yeah. easy to say what you would do because yeah. you're in a situation yeah. where yeah. I'm not worried about, honestly, I wasn't worried. I, I was asking where he was because I wanted to know where he was. Not that I, I was not going to leave my children. Right. Does that make sense? You yeah. know I mean? Yeah. So, so, um, but people say those sort of things and they're not helping. Um, so, uh, then they went to the, the first responders went to work cutting the car apart. And, um, so they had to take the roof clear off and the seats out because they brought Shelby out through the back of the hat where the hatchback would have been, had it still been there. Um, and, uh, uh, when she was, uh, they, they had her of course in the pressure suits and everything to try to hold her together. Um, uh, when she went by, this was all I could see of her little face. And, um, I, she, she saw me, she rolled her eyes back at me, you know, to see me cause I was kind of just off behind her to the left and she rolled her eyes back to see me. And I put my hand on her forehead and I said, I love you, sweetheart. And I'll say, I was trying to be, I wasn't trying to be poo-pooish, you know, I was trying to be, it's all going to be okay. Right. We'll see you at the hospital. And 
and I touched her forehead and I, I had my hand on the back of the paramedics coat and just shoving him as hard as I could possibly push. Get my kid to the hospital. Yeah. Let's move. Right. Um, so they left and they met life flight at the pioneer park in Brownsville. And, um, on the way there, Shelby was able to say her name and she told them what she believed happened to her, that she'd been in a wreck. And, um, then uh, she died shortly after liftoff of, from the Pioneer Park. So you went over to Caleb at one point and were hugging him. So when they when they took Shelby away, then of course triage. And I was I was a medic in the army. I know how triage works. And so they then point towards Caleb and they hooked him up. And then I saw as one of the paramedics looked at the trooper and shook his head. He didn't say anything, but we all know what that means. And they covered him with a blanket and um i went over and i don't know I, as i say i have no memory of getting there i just remember i was there and i had a hold of caleb and i just hit on my like this had this hand over his ear and was holding him and and he was gasping fighting for life but he was gone already but we all know what we as animals do um and i was arguing with them to help him and the trooper was trying to get me to get away you know he was you know yelled at me or anything he was right. just sir we, we can't and and uh, then apparently i honestly don't remember and if you're out there I, I apologize i i i'm told that there was a chaplain there and that he's the one that came up and talked to me and i left caleb with him but i remember as i told you i, I at the time i still see the scene i still see the scene today in black and white and um i uh and and i see wet and dry and stuff like that but i i was holding him and i remember looking down at the ground and that's what stuck with me i couldn't my mind wouldn't function on how come i'm standing here holding him and looking at the ground and it was five six days later when i was coming home from the springfield hospital and i took the exit at 216 and and it hit me and I pulled over and kind of lost it for a while because I realized I was looking at the ground because there was no bottom to my son. Yeah, you were holding the upper torso and his legs were gone. So for brevity's sake, I want because I want to get to the point. You go to trial, you he you're trying to get a conviction for what he gets convicted of what and what do we need people to do? So they're already asked, just so you know, okay, I'm so, reading these things. I try not to read too many because people start going, you're not paying attention. Right. Okay, <laughs> so, I, I get but it. people are coming on and they're saying, what, what can we do? How do we help you? Okay, so, so he don't was, skip the trial. Don't, just don't go through every detail, but tell him what you wanted, what he got. Okay, so, so he was charged with manslaughter one and, and assault two. So that was, and the assault two was what he did to Kylie. Uh, so when he walked in there, the assault, uh, the manslaughter one charges. Got two of them. You got two of those, right? And and those came with a mandatory ten years minimum for each. For each, right? And Kylie's came with a mandatory six years, five months. Okay, so twenty six, twenty seven years. Right. Time served when you know what he's. Been. Um, and that is of course up to a judge as to whether those go, you know, together, or, you know, end end, or you say that right? consecutively or concurrently. Yeah, it's typically a blend. Yeah. They, they don't usually do full, you know, um, one after the other. It's, it's usually a blend of, of the two. Okay. So, um, and what we have to prove here is what we're in there to prove, not that he killed them. 
he admits he killed him. You know, um, what what we're in there to prove is his state of mind. You know, we're in there to prove that he had a gross indifference to human life. And which clearly in our point of view, he does. You know, he he's lying, saying that they, they said they were okay. Everything's okay. That's why I didn't call 911. Everybody's fine. Yeah, you know, I didn't see the point in any of this. So, and, you know, he still sticks with, you know, the, it's an accident. It's just, you know, whatever, you know, let's move along with our lives. Um, so, you know, there was errors made, which I'm really not going to get into. But anyway, there, there was things happened, and he was found guilty of manslaughter two and assault three. So that gives him, okay, are you ready for this, everyone? Here we so go. So that gives him a minimum of six years, three months. So actually two months less than he would have served for just Kylie, a piece for the killings. That's so 13, 13 well, 12 years, six months. Yeah. Um, for, for Caleb and Shelby, for both of them. And then about three years for Kylie. So he's pretty, and that's, and he's already been in jail for over a year. So, you know, pretty good likelihood that he'd be walking out the door within 15 years. Um, because the judge or, or the pros, the DA, Mr. Martinez, Martini, 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 already told me in a meeting that I had with him, or myself and the kids' his mother had with him um, a week or two ago now, um, that uh, he won't actually serve any time for the drunk driving or the reckless driving or any of the other charges because those will all run concurrently. Concurrently, yeah. right. So the only physical time he'll spend is for the three major eleven crimes, um, and so, 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 I'm gonna. I just gotta. Have, I have to ask you this. So what does that feel like to find out that your two children? I mean, I'm just gonna stick with the two that didn't survive. That their lives are are worth fifteen years. It's, it's crazy. I. I, I told I, I told the prosecutor and I told the kids' grandfather as well when we were at trial and we were talking and people say, well, what do you want? You know, what are you looking for? The, the trooper actually, Trooper Rummer actually asked me that at the uh, indictment hearing, you know, and he's like, what do you want? I, I was like, well, what does it matter what I want? Because kind of why we're here, it, you know? And, and so um, I told him I can't even imagine him not doing 25 to 30 years. I mean, I just can't. I mean, how could that happen, right. right? How how could he possibly be out of jail before he's my age or close to it? You know, I'm 52, and he's you know 22 now. How could he be out of jail before he's my age? That makes no sense, right? And so, where's the deterrent in that? There is none, and that's that's part of the problem. We have no accountability. There's no there's I've seen cases, and I I can't share names, but there there's a case where a, a mother was driving impaired and caused a crash, and her two year old child was killed. She got eighteen months. How is that a deterrent? It's not. Right. It, it just isn't. So what can people do? So that the sentencing so is on the twenty eighth. Twenty eighth at two thirty at the Lynn County Courthouse in Albany. That's the Lynn County Courthouse, yeah. uh, the 28th at 2.30. At 2.30. And what we're asking is, so people, as you can imagine, tons of people have asked us, you know, what can we do, what can we do? So ultimately what we need is presence. We, we need, need your body. We need your bodies there. We don't need you. We aren't asking you to stand out there and chant or light torches. Or be, we, matter of fact, matter fact we, when no. it comes to any kind of stupid stuff, don't even, don't bring it in the name of my kids. Don't, 
in the name of my kids. Yes, this you isn't a political there, thing. And, this and, isn't for not, you to use for right whatever agenda you have. Right. I'm not interested that would in your be agenda. Just, that would be. I'm just gonna say that'd be disgusting. Yeah, that would be disgusting. But we need your bodies. We need you there because we've really been told. This can you change it? Well, no, we can't change the verdict. But we're trying to get we're trying to get the judge because ultimately now we're talking to the judge. We're not talking to anybody else now. We right. are speaking to the judge, and we need the judge to understand there's a there's a there's a large they call it a matrix that they take into account and community the 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 effect that things have on our community is a major major part of this okay and they're you know a judge while judges typically are never voted out they're still an elected official right and they can look out the window and see a thousand people standing out there and say whoa because where there's a thousand people there's also tvs and there's also you know newspapers and and you know, not. I'm not saying that the judge wouldn't do his job anyway. I'm not trying to say that. I, you know, but I'm just. I'm just that, saying that plays into it. Right. I'm just saying that the that we've had numerous deputies, and as a matter of fact, Mr. Martini himself told us that yeah, that is it works. What does that do for you and Amy and uh, Kylie? What do you mean? What does what do? If you looked out there on the front steps, oh, it's it's, it's amazing to it would be amazing to us. I mean, you, you know that our kids, our our kids, support. yeah, our, you know, and, and our community is also. I'm not saying our community hasn't been supportive to us already; they already have, you, you know. And so, but we're just asking this one last thing, you know, and and um, well, we might be asking for more when it comes to voting for laws, right? But yeah. but we just. It just means a lot to and I'm not saying, and unfortunately, I'm not even saying that anybody's going to have time to come out and speak to you or, you know what I mean? Maybe the only, maybe the only thing that you're going to get out of this is knowing that we really, really appreciate you being there, you know? Well, I um, always tell my audience that, that the word community is an action word and love is an action word and involvement is an action word. And, you know, we can all sit on here and be outraged and upset quite frankly that doesn't do I, I, and it's wonderful that you are i'm glad but that doesn't do shit if you don't put something behind it i you mean need help. you need help you need somebody to come in and just have people there it says a ton to your family and if they and, could be there from 2 30 to five o'clock two and a half hours right you know just milling around and maybe talking to other people i don't you know just whatever that looks like um so that it you know i guess to cause an inconvenience Right, right. The, the the inconvenience of the community eye, you, you know, right. and um, I, numbers. I, I know that I know that they're already organizing their security. They've told me that, and so they'll they are going to allow a certain number of bodies inside the courthouse itself, you know. But that's going to be a number that they're going to determine, not me, of course. And I would imagine that's going to be whoever walks through the door first will be allowed in the in, not in the courtroom, of course, in the in the mm-hmm. halls and stuff like that. And I'm sure they're going to be very strict on certain rules as right. far as that is concerned too. But, but they are going to allow a, a certain number of that because, um, but you know, they, they're not, you know, they're not idiots. They know what I'm doing and what we're doing and they know right. that people are going to show up and that I'm just saying, I understand there'll be, there'll be rules. I don't know what those are. Okay. Last thing I got for you. What do you miss the most about Egypt? Well, um, well, that's hard to just say, right? Uh, um, just their presence, frankly. Um, 
I often say I have to sit down and write things down so I don't forget small little details with my kids. But I, I would think with Caleb, just his calm nature, he just always had a way of, Caleb wasn't, Caleb was a person that very seldom spoke. You know, he certainly didn't get that from me, but he, he just did. He just very seldom spoke. He just always listened. And usually to the point you would think, wow, kid just not paying attention, you know, and then he just did, you know, and, and he just made everybody feel good because he paid attention to them and he remembered small little details of their lives that maybe they didn't realize that anybody even noticed. Um, and Shelby, her laugh, she just had, her laugh was just awesome and her dimples. I used to have a joke that people, people still laugh at me about it because she had dimples, right? And who doesn't like that? But I would always, since she was very little, she, when she would smile, I'd say, Shelby, you put those things away. Nobody likes people with dimples, you know. <laughs> she'd give me a nasty look you know and you guys by the way you can't see but Caleb's over here tattooed and Shelby's on this side over here so one thing and I hope that people don't take this the wrong way this isn't trite but I keep thinking what what happened to the dog okay well no that's a good question I, I, just, I, what, I feel so, like that's I, I just keep feeling she's okay. fine she's fine um she's her name's Darby um she's she's fine she she was very sore. She didn't have anything broke. You know, Amy did full body x-rays on her and she had nothing broke, but she, she, uh, was in the back seat and the seat, you know, for a dog, you know, she's a, she's a Kelpie border collie cross dog. So she's not terribly big, 35 pounds, 40 pounds, the, the back of the seat just wow. netted her, you, you know? And so, uh, she got thrown in the, she was running around and, Somebody, I don't know whether Amy got her or who, but somebody threw her in Amy's car. And then she spent a few weeks at the clinic, you know, just being treated for pain. She was in a lot of pain. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine, oh, you yeah. know. She had to be thrown around in there. And like. So, um, but Darby's fine. Yeah. yeah, she's fine. She sleeps with, uh, she sleeps with Kylie now. Kylie took over uh, Darby and, and Captain, which was Shelby's dog, and short hair. And, and we have... I have Kat Shelby's poodle cinder sleeps on my bed every night now. So, yeah. Hey, thanks for coming in and sharing that and having a conversation with us. And thank you for fighting for the people of Oregon and families and stuff. That's what you do. Yeah, and you. so it's Mothers Against Drunk Driving. You guys know who that organization is. They can always use your help because uh, this is volunteer. Yeah, our, our I am the only staff person in the state of Oregon. And I have a small handful of volunteers that help, but um, we need more. We, we need volunteers and we need um, funding. We need everything to, to build uh, a citizen army, basically, to be able to fight against um, this crime and support the, the victims of it. People are, you need to go back and read. Oh, okay. yeah. Travis is saying Caleb was a yeah. kindest young man, heart of gold. Yes, Shelby's laugh and smile. So so just let me add on to the small community. So cause that's Chantel Carr that was just spoken. They just said that. And um, that's my lady, Nicole. But um, uh, the, the, the people who did this have the Sweet Home Mortuary. Uh -huh. Those people are have known Caleb since <laughs> most all his life. Caleb was in Boy Scouts with their son. And I, just talk about how it destroys community. Imagine how it was for this gentleman to have 
Caleb and Shelby on tables in front of him. Yeah. So how do they volunteer? So if you're interested in volunteering, um, you can contact me directly at um, my email address is C-A-T-E dot D-U-K-E at M-A-D-D dot O-R-G. And I can respond to that. Or you, you can also go to our website, uh, which is uh, mad.org and um, click on the, the link to volunteer and that'll take your information and, and send it to me. Um, if you want to reach out by phone, you can also call our local office, which is 541-343-8115. God, I should have been a secretary. <laughs> I'm learning. I usually have people do it for me. They'll just do it. I have a great audience. Um, okay, thank you both. You guys, so, um, yeah, so, again, um, this is, you know, kind of rubber hits the road stuff. If you feel so inclined and this angers you and bothers you and uh, you feel like it needs to change, then get off your butt and do something about it. And don't just sit there and feel sorry for people. They don't need you to feel sorry for them. What they need is your support. And um, so if you could... Um, Show up on the 28th, 2.30 at the Lynn County Courthouse. It's right in downtown Old Albany. And uh, just show up uh, without any flags or any of the other accoutrements that we are used to now. With This is not a protest. This is simply a bunch of people loving each other and loving two kids that you never knew, but that they knew very well. And that would be saying a lot to the family and the community and other people. Um, I'm Rick Dancer. That's it for tonight. Tomorrow night, we're going to be down in Klamath Falls. Well, we'll be doing it live with Klamath Falls. Um, huge water issue down there and people are running out of water. Um, it's uh, complicated. It's between the tribes, the fish, uh, the farmers, and now residential people are actually going next door to their neighbors to get water so they can wash their dishes and flush their toilets. So it's serious. And these people have been begging me to do something. And I finally got the folks to talk with us. So we're going to be doing that tomorrow night. Um, on Wednesday, we're going to be talking with an organization called On the Line or On the Inside, and they help women prisoners um, get uh, their lives together through art. I'm also working on with Priority One because it's all hot out there, and they're going to help us figure out how to cool our houses better. We're going to be doing that, and then the Blue Life Bistro or the Blue Valley Bistro is on Thursday night at five o'clock, and we'll be at the Emporium in Benita on Friday at five. So that's the whole week in shows. Thanks again, you guys. And share this on your page. That's the best thing you can do. Just put it on your page because somebody might be going by and look at that and they might hear that little context about the third beer. You hear that sound. It's time to stop and put it down and get home and don't do it. I'm Rick Dancer. Have a great night. Thanks for helping.